I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Hi, ho, let's go. You're listening to the Sound Logic <laughs> Podcast, and today we are discussing album number 33, which is Ramones by the Ramones. Everyone calls them the Ramones, and they are the Ramones, but I guess technically they're just Ramones. Yeah. Ramones. And the album is... By Ramones. Ramones. Yeah. Ramones. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. When you look up any kind of list of artists or albums, it says Ramones. But anytime I read an article, it said the Ramones. So it was kind right. of funny. Like, people acknowledge it, but don't, don't abide by it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, this is the Ramones. Uh, is this our second, like, punk, post-punk album we've done? Yeah, I think so. I don't think these guys would be considered post-punk. No. Well, I just say that because, like... Oh, one thing goes two together. The Clash is punk, but London Calling was more post-punk, right? Correct. Yeah. So that's why I said punk and post-punk. Yeah, yeah. Because this is punk. This is punk, but that wasn't really punk, even though it was a punk band. Right, not to get too technical. <laughs> oh, so much nostalgia. I uh, We've mentioned before that we were into specifically Christian punk and ska music mm-hmm. uh, and, and maybe obsessively with the record label Tooth and Nail. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of their artists in the late 90s, early 2000s were drawing on this era as their inspiration. Oh, yeah. For uh, sure. So I, I, it was, it was like a trip back to high school in some ways to, to <laughs> enjoy this album this week and and uh, have it on in the background a little bit. It's been fun. Now, do you say that because it's an album you listen to a lot in high school, or because it reminds you of what you listen to in high school? No. So I've never listened to this album. Um, I've definitely heard a few Ramones songs. It felt so familiar, though, uh, partially mm. because of one of those tooth and nail bands, uh, who I believe also go by Huntingtons, but are known as the Huntingtons. Um, right. Their their whole career, I think, is based on just copying the Ramones sound entirely, <laughs> and look, and appearance, and uh, attitude, and things like that. Um, uh, and actually, have played with a couple of the remaining members of the Ramones in a few shows. Oh, like cool. I think they're actually somewhat appreciated for the way that they have um, not acted as a tribute band, but sort of like con- continued an evolution of that sound. Um, but their music, especially their earlier albums, just is a complete straight ripoff of the Ramones. And so, you know, I'm listening <laughs> to this album and everything from like the the songs all ranging from like a minute and a half to two minutes uh, mm. uh, three minutes long you know all their songs were short and fast and uh, same sort of chord progression and pace and uh, attitude on their vo- vocals and things like that so even though this is a brand new album for me um, I feel like I've been listening to it for a big portion of my life <laughs> right or, or at least a significant portion of my life 
I, I felt very similar. I ha- was not familiar with this album. I haven't listened to it start to finish before. Uh, I knew one or two songs. And I wasn't into the Huntingtons, but I was into other bands on that label, and I was into a lot of other punks. So I felt the same way. It felt very familiar. It did feel nostalgic. And this is another band, and I said the same thing when we listened, listened to The Clash's London Calling. I wish someone had introduced me to these bands and more specifically these albums or handed me one like hey check this out because i think in high school i really would have liked this like i really i don't know why again why i didn't feel like i needed to listen to the Ramones. like it was too too old or it wasn't the punk that i wanted to listen to (laughs) but no one had ever really sat me down and said hey check this out or handed me because i guess the other our other peers were we're kind of into the same thing so yeah. i wish there was like a, a punk mentor like 10 or 15 years older who had said you, you gotta listen to this well yeah i think i, I really would have liked it i i hear what you're saying but i actually think a reason that i listened to tooth and nail and other christian uh, artists was that i felt like so separate from the secular world in high school and so convinced that a Christian band could do it just as good uh, and would be wholesome at the same time. Mm. Like, I remember those charts in the Christian bookstore that would say, do you like Metallica? Then you're going to love. And then, you know, it lists the Christian equivalent. Oh. And so I think huh. I just had this sense that, like, the Ramones might give me the sound I'm looking for, but but that's sort of, like, dangerous, secular, sure. maybe even satanic music and uh and so far less i think if someone had said here check out the ramones that's that's who influenced mxpx or that's who influenced uh the huntingtons i probably would have been like uh, yeah okay i can i can hear uh, that sound but you know i'm i'm much safer over here in this <laughs> in this world that i've chosen or i or i i'm not supposed to listen to or i'm not supposed to yeah maybe yeah maybe. i like I, i'm supposed to stay away from that type yeah. of music that type of uh, and certainly i mean when you will look into the lyrics like some of the lyrics are are pretty overt a little violent yeah um certainly that punk attitude and rebelling against the man and against society it's all here in very uh, explicit ways yeah so i i could yeah I, I see what you're saying i think that think that i was it's hard to compare, but I was maybe a little more open to the secular. But yeah, I mean, you listen to a lot of secular stuff. I think you were, and I, I have one very clear memory of you buying a uh, album of vintage ska that was like a three or four disc set. <laughs> and yep. I remember thinking, like, oh wow, Mike, you know, going out there, edgy, like, yeah, edgy, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I I think uh, I had one. Uh, the specials and Prince Buster and actually I ended up giving that to a friend of mine um, that who I met in my married days who again is like maybe 10-15 years older than us who grew up listening to all that stuff oh no way all that like first second wave ska actually probably second wave like all that British stuff and uh, I had this three disc box set and I was like here I don't really listen to this anymore have this he, his <laughs> eyes almost fell out of his head he was like uh, I remember that, that was that that was downtown at like a uh, like this you know, little hole in the wall yeah. record record store. I don't even know oh, why we were down there. Me- it's a great, um, I believe I believe we were <laughs> we went down because 
I think I got free tickets to like uh, St. Mike's Majors OHL game. Oh, okay. and I think we were down there for that with like Scott and Phil and okay. Steve, something like sure. that. Anyways, wow, it just whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, it's coming back to me now. I did have one compilation punk album, a Punkorama, probably that I Ooh. pulled out of a bulk bin for five bucks or something like that. <laughs> I think it was Punkorama Volume Three. Um, Ooh. And and it had a couple of uh, you know edgier, certainly not Christian punk tracks on it. That's worth a Google. <laughs> it's got bands like uh, No Effects, Rancid, Voodoo Glow Skulls, Melancholin. So, um, yeah, those are not uh, those are not Christian punk bands. Not Christian. They're not the remote either. <laughs> they're you know they're no. '90s punk, so a different wave, but but yeah, very similar kinds of sounds. Um, okay, I I never went deeper. I think probably just that taste from punkorama was enough to be like okay yeah can't really play this around my parents so maybe maybe i don't buy those albums uh yeah Yeah. well that's that's an interesting point you bring up just kind of kind of how how our listening uh tastes grew and and kind of the kind of boxes we were in or created for ourselves uh, and maybe a bit of an explanation why we don't have this this album and this type of music yep. in our listening history. It's kind of, Especially since we were in that genre. It, oh, it, yeah. I mean, listen, in terms of music, I listened to this, you know, over the last week or so, and I really think I would have absolutely loved it because this was the kind of stuff we were listening to, but yep. just different bands and newer bands. They weren't the, the bands we listened to weren't the pioneers of it. Yep. Well, these guys were. So here's another great sort of like, <laughs> this was bad in high school. I remember, I don't even know what <laughs> album I traded, but I somehow traded to get Pearl Jam's Vitology album Ooh. in the mid-90s, brought it home, and before I even put it on, it was like laying on the kitchen counter or something, and my mom picked it up, and the um, she was so bothered by the graphic images in the lyric booklet and some of the very oh. dark um, Pearl Jam lyrics that she said, yeah. take this back wherever you got it from. And, uh, you know, oh. I don't want it in the house. So I was, right. I was probably pretty young. I think, uh, oh, it's on this list, isn't it? Phytology came out in 1994. So I'm get, you know, I'm guessing I was like 12, 13. So I was like <laughs> not, you know, independent enough to be driving or uh, on my own, or probably even having a significant income. <laughs> So I probably didn't feel like I had much capacity to push back on that. But that, I think, and and like we've said before, we were both kids who like to follow the rules. I probably got a lot of fear at one moment, sent it back to whichever friend I'd got it from and uh, um, thought, okay, well, that, you know, that narrows down what I can listen to at home. I don't even think much about Vitology. I think I just thought, oh, it's stuff that my friends are listening to. At lunchtime, um, sort of blurred together in that grunge phase. That's the difference too between a child and an adult. Whereas yeah. you, you could read through the lyrics of Vitology and maybe not pick up on a lot of stuff sure. that is really mature. Whereas you know your parent, your mom read that and go, "Yeah, this is this is not appropriate you for don't you." Want this, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow! Another interesting memory. <laughs> and Vitology great. comes up in uh, another ten years or so, so uh, I'll have to hold on to that memory and <laughs> yeah. 
get it again. Uh, when we get there. <laughs> uh, maybe a special guest. <laughs> Bring on Cheryl for uh, a trip down memory lane. That would be funny. I don't. Think, I don't think she threw it on the player. Number so. four eighty-five. We'll see. We'll see how how she feels in several years. Uh, well, without further ado, would you like some details? We don't even have a special guest to ramble with. <laughs> Maybe we do need no. to dive into some details before we get too we long. Yeah, nostalgia. Uh, and this time I'll remember to put the sound in. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Details, 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 details. Ramones by Ramones was released on April 23rd, 1976, and it was their debut album. Uh, it was written by the Ramones. Different, And what I mean by that is different members are credited on different songs. Not like some bands like... Uh, you know, like U2 is like every every song is credited to U2. This is yeah. like, you know, one is Johnny, one is Joey, one's Dee Dee, one's Tommy. Um, uh, except for Let's Dance, which was written by Jim Lee, which was a Chris Montez cover, another artist I am not familiar with. This charted, this, I, I've read things that said that this album was well received and, and did well, but it charted uh, number 111 on the Billboard Top 200, maybe because it was... Like, it wasn't even really much of a genre yet, right? Right. Like, uh, it was kind of, you know, I guess it was rock, but it wasn't really rock. It certainly wasn't pop. So, uh, not number 111. Um, sales, and these numbers come from the UK and the US, total of 800,000 copies. Okay. Uh, seems low. Seems low. Yeah, that's kind of, I think, to be expected for edgier music like this. Punk liked being sort of fringe and... Yeah. Yeah. But I mean over time you kinda think that it might have picked up. Sure. But I guess copies just kinda get circulated around and traded and moved around and mm-hmm. um, now in the digital era. Yep. The little blurb on the website for the Rolling Stone top five hundred uh, greatest albums list uh, says I'm clocking in at just over twenty eight minutes, <laughs> Ramones is a complete rejection of the spangled artifice of nineteen seventies rock. And I hadn't really thought about that, till re- but yeah, it's so short and concise and yeah. compare it to the songs and albums that we've listened to from that era, that 70s rock era, you know, the Led Zeppelins, the, the Who, those uh, big grandiose compositions and songs and sounds. And this is very uh, lo-fi, low-tech, short, concise, energetic, yeah. very fast, uh, many at 160 beats per minute. Yeah. Um, so that that is interesting. It just flies in the face of uh, well, and of everything that was happening, and and other stuff that was considered great at that same time. Like, I <laughs> I pulled up our uh, sortable Rolling Stone album list. The albums that are on there from the same year include a couple of uh, Bowie albums, an Eagles album, a Jackson Brown album, a Stevie Wonder album. Um, so like. Huh. Just pace, tone, everything is different about this. Those are all kind of like what we'd now consider easy listening, you know, right? Uh, not soft rock necessarily, but like stuff that that gets played uh, by boomers <laughs> and uh, <laughs> oh. and, uh, okay, and great stuff, but but definitely not um, this album. And um, hmm. so I'm, I'm guessing it just it it felt like a jolt to have 
those more melodic, softer rock sounds kind of evolving. Into, it's almost like throwing a wrench into the gears or something to have... It feels like you're going back in time, I guess, uh, to have something like this come on. Almost like early Beatles in, in the sense of just kind of short, concise, yeah, simple songs, right? Not, yeah. yeah they, they, all the music built, the, the Beatles evolved and changed and everything built on that. And then now we've come, we started over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. I like that. I like that a lot. So this, uh, this album took seven days to record, cost $6,400. Budget. Yeah. You know, so 800,000 copies, not bad for six grand. Right. (laughs) And seven days. Well, and unlike, unlike, you know, Phil Spector's wall of sound stuff, this is like stripped way down. Like, (laughs) yeah, here's what we need. Like, Put a mic on the guitars, bass, and drums, and right. something to exactly. scream into. That's it. <laughs> I mean, it's raw and it's 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 young sounding, it's youthful, mm-hmm. but it doesn't sound sloppy or poorly no. produced. No, that's true. Um, and it, I, I don't hear like I'm sure there's people who listen through and say, "Okay, there's a mistake here." And so I don't hear. It's not like I hear blaring mistakes, like the guitars are out of tune or there's major, you know, errors in terms of you know notes or rhythms being played wrong. I mean, it sounds good. Yeah, you know. Do you know where this falls in sort of the origin of punk? Uh, I want to say early. It's their debut. They're not necessarily. It's their debut. Considered the founders of punk, right? Yeah, they. they I, I mean, okay. It depends how far you want to go. I think they're the first official punk rock band, but. There's also, you could look at like the Stooges and MC5, uh, which makes sense to me. You get, and maybe the best way to put it is that the punk that exists before them is like subculture that's not commercialized. And in the Ramones, yeah, I, I the think Ramones, so. you end up getting something that's punk, but palatable enough for the public to buy albums and want to consume this music. So, you know, how many albums did you say it sold? Uh, 800,000. 800, like that's a, that's not a fringe subculture. That's <laughs> almost a million records of something that's basically power chords and shouting. Um, so it's, it's different than, you know, just kids screaming in their garage. It, yeah. It's, it's a little bit different. Um, I've heard this before. The velvet underground is like, like they call that, they call that. Okay. There's different eras. There's the proto punk, which is like the bands that, kind of laid the foundation for what would be punk yeah and that's bands like um the stooges and the velvet underground and uh the squires mc5 you know that i've heard those names but as like and then the early punk is like uh new york dolls and uh like devo was considered early punk you know which i wouldn't consider you know a punk band but you know early uh bands like blondie and patty smith like these are all kind of in this this but but really i think the ramones are the first i think you're right the first kind of commercially successful yeah um because i was gonna say like sex pistols i found a, a little blurb on wikipedia that that talks about the velvet underground as you mentioned influencing three significant bands in the 70s, the New York Dolls, the Stooges, and the Ramones. 
Um, sure. So those three kind of end up being the sort of at the forefront of the movement as it as it picks up and takes off. So this the list I'm looking on is like you know the years and the bands that were formed in that years. So the Ramones and Blondie and Patti Smith were you know those bands were and Talking Heads were formed in '74. In '75, you know more on the list, but most notably the um, Sex Pistols. Oh yeah, uh, Teenage Head. And then in 1976, and I can only imagine that this is due to the influence of the Ramones, you've got Buzzcocks, The Clash. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it starts to influence other artists. Like, I, I think at times Elvis Costello sounds like he's got some punk influence in his earlier stuff. Well, he, he's listed here. He's listed here. Yeah. You know, in, the, in one of the albums, you know, in 77. and Yeah. Anyways, uh so to answer your question, uh, yeah, this is this is early punk. This is kind of first, we'll say, commercially successful punk band, and I think this is the band that really. If there were other bands that were considering doing this or trying to figure out their sound or starting up, like they were trying to emulate this. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot of other bands that led to this sound, but this was the first punk band. And I think, again, I think we if, can if you are out there screaming at your podcasting device right now um (laughs) visit us at our podcast website on anchor or uh in the in anchor app leave us a voice memo we'll share your thoughts on a future episode and uh we can explain what we've gotten wrong (laughs) yeah we want to hear what you have to say uh and we'd be happy to feature your your comments and and maybe even you want to be a a guest host on one of our future episodes. Absolutely. There are more punk bands like this coming up that we'll need to oh, work with. Coming up soon. Yep. Let's move on to this uh, very iconic cover. Like this picture. This is what the punk look is, right? I think like, so. I mean, it changed. It changed. It changed. What you see in the 90s more like, you know, uh, t-shirts and... Um, you know different hair but like certainly for this is still a look right yeah. like people still dress like this like to go out or like if you're in a band yep uh, you said you know huntington's in the 90s and 2000s like they did this look and many bands have done this look yeah an iconic look mm-hmm. um jeans leather jacket uh chuck taylor's i think i would i would have put on them if i was their uh art director but they're still wearing kind of the sneakers with the jeans and the and the leather um, Chuck Taylor's, sorry. Oh, uh, the iconic old school basketball sneaker that's got the white toe oh. and white laces and black. Uh, oh, yeah. <clears throat> Something uh, I'm not familiar with. Chuck Taylor is the original sort of. You've uh, you've out you've out cultured me again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the original sort of signature series. So if if you want those iconic Converse shoes type in Chuck Taylor to your okay your Google cool. machine and you'll find them right away. Nice. <laughs> um, so this this shot was originally and there was a photo shoot for this to be like Meet the Beatles, which was just the four faces, like three on the top and then one underneath on the right. And the the photo shoot went so badly and they didn't get <laughs> what they wanted that um the art director, Tony Wadler, hope I'm saying that right, 
chose a photo by Roberta Bailey, who was a photographer for Punk Magazine. So we see that <laughs> even in the early before this album came out, there was the word punk was there, and <laughs> and um, this picture was originally used uh, in an issue of Punk Magazine. Oh, cool! And then so they decided to use this one, and it's. Uh, it's taken outside a private community garden in, uh, called Albert's Garden, which is located in the, the Bowery neighborhood of New York. Uh, and any of our New York listeners or native listeners between Bowery Street and 2nd Street, I obviously don't know anything about uh, Manhattan, but anyways. <laughs> uh, uh, another, another place that you could go to, and I bet you there's people, I, well, if this wall is still there, I bet you there's people who go there and pose and do this... Uh, this thing uh, another interesting thing was um like joey ramone lead singer who's uh third from the left he's very tall you know with the long dark black hair uh he's he's so tall that um tommy the drummer who's beside him you can see if you look closely he's on his tippy toes up against the wall <laughs> yeah. to try and to try and get a little higher like he yeah. must be so short and that Joey is even actually kind of leaning and like hunched over a little bit because mm-hmm. uh, there was such a difference, right? So it's kind of you know very like okay, you do this and you do that, and, you know. It's it's kind of <laughs> it's really cool. I really like it. It's that's character, and I love um, like in the eighties, you know, with the the Van Halen and all this stuff with the crazy costumes. You know, it wouldn't have been uncommon to see a guy with like a crop top. But I feel like in the 70s, you know, the crop top on Tommy Ramone there is, like, really interesting. (laughs) Well, I guess maybe, I guess you would have seen that on a, like, a Robert Plant, maybe. Possibly. But not like a 60s, not like a Beatles kind of thing. You wouldn't have seen them, you know, showing skin like that. (laughs) It's very, it's very youthful. It's very punk rock. It's, there's sex appeal, obviously. Um... Yeah, it's such a neat photo. Yeah. I feel like I've talked a lot about it. Do you have anything to say? Well, just uh, that like last week's episode, um, the back cover is kind of cool as well. Um, last week we talked about um, Let It Bleed by the Rolling Stone, hmm. which has that fun, yeah. funky turntable in the back. It's just all falling apart. The back of this right. one is sort of another cool punk image of uh, sort of the top of someone's pants and a giant eagle belt buckle. And, um, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, apparently, the image was taken in a photo booth, which also seems really punk to, to, to <laughs> go into a photo booth and snap an image of essentially of your crotch. Um, but it's kind of like washed <laughs> out too, so that right. the majority of the image is white and blank space uh, for the track listing and, and things like that. Um, but you've got this kind of like, uh, yeah, big belt buckle punk image to go on the back of the cover maybe if another band comes along and looks slightly different we think of punk in that way instead but this just feels so iconic and uh uh appropriate i guess for the the music that we're listening to we've talked at times about albums where the covered and actually pretty recently the last dylan album where we were like this is a weird this is a cool cover but not really um in sync with the music that's on the record this one just feels mm-hmm. like, yeah, we have an attitude. Oh, yeah. We are punk. Let's just like show off what it means to look like a punk. 
sure. Yeah, I love it. Um, and in 1991, Rolling Stone magazine did a list of 100 greatest album covers. Um, and this was number 58 on that list. Hmm. This this album cover. Oh, they get so many lists. They love lists, eh? I mean, I love lists, too. <laughs> yeah. A couple of years ago for Christmas, my mom got me a book called The Book of Lists. Whoa. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I also like lists, but Rolling Stone freaking loves lists. <laughs> um, speaking of lists, are you going to make me read out every single one of these songs? Probably. Well, I thought we could go through track by track and talk about each song. <laughs> do you think we could do you think we could talk about each track and the length of time that it takes to get through the track because <laughs> that really only that be would like be hard 29 minutes <laughs> we could just talk about the rhythm of the so- first song and that would cover all the songs <laughs> right right um no you don't need to give track by track um we should say though after quite a long stretch of 60s and 70s albums all matching that uh, kind of and 80s with U2 all matching that kind of uh, 9 to 11 tracks yeah yeah, I was thinking that suddenly the punk genre gives us 14 tracks and it's not a 45 minute long album it's a (laughs) half an hour album (laughs) Um, probably almost fitted on one side (laughs) just about right yeah it's not as packed as London Calling was um, you know, they, oh, they could have probably put, you know, if another 15 minutes of recording space, they could have, <laughs> have thrown another, <clears throat> excuse me, like, like five, 10 songs, five or 10 songs <laughs> out there. Yeah. Um, well, what are some that jumped out to you, Ben? Well, um, I went to see Frozen 2 recently with our kids. Oh, <gasps> me too. And, uh, um, I saw it on the weekend. Well, did you watch the trailer for the new Sonic film as part of that? Was it? No. Screening? The screening I, that we no. went to had the a trailer for the new Sonic the Hedgehog movie. And Blitzkrieg Bop is the song that plays through that whole preview. And I thought, huh, this is so interesting that, you know, even 50 years after this album, uh, 43? 44? 43? Yeah. Uh it's still edgy and high-paced and fun enough that for a film about a chaotic uh, video game character, they picked that song. Interesting. It's, uh, yeah, it, it, I don't know. It's funny because you said before, uh, let's just talk about track one and we can say that that's how the rest of the album is. But, <laughs> but there is something different and I think exceptional uh, exceptional about Blix Greek Bob um, that I can't quite put my finger on. Um, I don't know. I, I think it may, I don't know, maybe the way that it's broken up by the hi-ho, let's go part. Um, yeah. The, the drum fill in the background of that section, I think, just makes it different yeah, than if like they were that. just playing power chords the whole time. Um, it's a great song and, and exceptional, song. I think. Uh, really, really great. Um, in a way that I think the rest of the album, you know, I, I, I guess I had some similar feelings to when we tackled Chuck Berry or even Robert Johnson, where like after five tracks, I kind of get it. 
you know. But but Blitzkrieg Bop yeah. is a a really great song that that really rises above the rest of the stuff on this on this album here. But it, it is a very formulaic album in that you know, <laughs> let's pick our shoutable refrain, the three chords that we're going to use, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and let's just go fast for the next minute and a half. You're right, and I agree with you that Blitzkrieg Pop is a standout. Um, why do I why do I always want to say Blitzkrieg Pop when it's Bob? <laughs> I don't know. So outside of the opening track, which is awesome, um, any others that are any other favorites? Uh, maybe I should, should. Do you want me to jump in? Go ahead. I really like. I like Beat on the Brat. I like the. I don't know. He kind of. He turns Brat into almost a two-syllable word. Yeah. Yeah, why? Well, you know, like, you know his, <laughs> his, just the way he, yeah. <laughs> he breathes too, like through it. It's, it's very interesting. It's I like it. It's not shouted in the same way that no. um, a lot of the other songs are. Yeah, it's sort of spoken. But there's still there's still the oh yeahs, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh you know, and, it's, and that's almost again we talked about the Beatles, but that's almost like 50s, 60s kind of uh, <laughs> feeling, you know? Yes, um, right. And I, I don't know. It's it's interesting to start to hear that stuff. I also really like uh, uh, "Want to Be Your Boyfriend." That just seems, again, very kind of '50s bad boy uh-huh. kind of you know kind of thing. And and I kind of kind of like that feel. I guess the the leather jackets and the jeans that that's almost like '50s. Think of even a James Dean with the jeans on, the tight jeans and the tight T-shirt. Yeah, uh, kind of thing. Like hmm, yeah. maybe there's more harkening back to that than I realized. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're right. What's that saying? Everything, everything old is new again. Yeah, you know, like they're like we talked about going back and being simpler. Maybe punk is about rebelling. Yes, and it and rebelling is a lot of times about you know taking away what exists and getting rid of it and starting over again it's a weird mashup too because it also draws on blue collar stuff too so there's a like hard work push against the man kind of rebellion rather than sort of an anarchistic everything is evil uh, I mean there's some, okay, yep. some anarchy in punk too but uh, but I think they're wearing they're wearing jeans and leather jackets because that's kind of the common dress right like that's going that's going back to the people it's not um it's not like a bowie outfit from the same era where it's just like it's also not what people are wearing but it's like something that's like blowing everything (laughs) out of proportion um right there's a there's a conservatism to the punk uh ethic Conservative is the wrong word, but I don't know. Am I, does that make sense? I'm, I'm getting at something here that I can't quite articulate. Well, I, th- I think I think what what you're it's it's rebelling, it, but it's it's accessible, mm-hmm. and you know what makes it it's successful is that people can can access it. You know, like you can you could go out and get some old ripped jeans, you know, or your jeans are ripped and and get you know. I mean, a leather jacket to me seems expensive, but you could probably get a, an old leather jacket at a secondhand store, or maybe it's your dad's or your older brother's. Like you, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of you could you could uh, associate with that. Yeah. 
You can relate to that. Yes. You know what that's like. Uh, and if you wanted to be like that, you you could. You could be like that. You could dress like that. And you, you know, maybe they don't really talk about, you know, working, but like you could, you could work alongside this guy. Yes. You know, Joey Ramone, right? Like you could, you guys could work, you know, in the, in the plant or at the shop or whatever. Mm-hmm. In Havana Affair, do they say banana a lot or is that just them saying Havana and I think they're saying banana? No, they do say banana. Yeah. Picking the banana. I think it's like a picking. I think it's like pushing at the way that the U.S. medals in Central America. Okay. PT boat on the way to Havana. I used to make a living man picking the banana. Now I'm a guide for the CIA. Hooray for the USA. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I guess uh, appropriate time to talk about lyrics. Some of them uh, are kind of dark, kind of violent. Um, you know, again, that kind of dangerous, rebellious feel, uh, but uh, but political as well, like making statements. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Loud, uh, loudmouth. You know, a very short <laughs> song in terms of lyrics. But you're you're loudmouth, baby. You better shut up. I'm gonna beat you up because you're a loudmouth, babe. That's uh, that wouldn't fly today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, probably didn't, if this was, you know, a top 40 album, it wouldn't fly back in 76 either, but, but it was on the fringe, right? <laughs> I almost feel like I read that and I, and I, and it, and I want it to be tongue in cheek, or I think that it is tongue in cheek. Uh, what, what do you think? I don't want to analyze every song, but just, uh, I, like I've said before, just a preamble here. Like I said before, I'm not a, I'm not really a lyric guy uh and I, it's not the first thing i listen to and sometimes if i don't know what they are or if they're kind of slurred a bit i don't really look them up so yeah. sometimes i then go and do look them up and go oh no what have i been listening to <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> yeah i see i don't know um this may be a weakness uh for which we should have had someone with more of a tie to this band but i sometimes wonder if if music's or sorry, I sometimes wonder if punk's sound and attitude and performance is more important than the lyrical content. Like, well, "Hi Ho, Let's Go" is is a great uh, example of like it's the way they're saying it. Like that's essentially what the Seven Dwarfs say on the way to work, which is not at all <laughs> <laughs> punk or in your face, right? But uh, but it's how they're doing it. And, and, yeah. and there are times when they're pulling at the political system with their words, but it's never like a deep, robust kind of like <laughs> several verses of, of different rationales. It's it's maybe a, a line of anger, um, so it, right? I, but it's still it's still poking in there, and it's yes. still making an effort to. I mean, Havana. Back to Havana Fair. I think that uh, actually the lyrics are quite clever. Huh. Um, in terms of addressing that issue in a very brief uh, song. Yeah. I mean, even Blitzkrieg Pop, I don't know exactly what it's all about. And like we said before, you know, we're not, we don't do this to, you know, 
uh, put, you know, 30 hours of research in each episode. We just researched very briefly, but, you know, Blitzkrieg Pop, hey-ho, let's go shoot him in the back now. Like, I don't know, there is something. Oh, yeah. I think there's something there, too. Yeah, I think so. But then again, some of early punk and some of other punk is just kind of, kind of that almost childish, immature, like, blah, 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 just say whatever you want, right? Like, Good point. I'm going <laughs> to knock you down, you know, just... <laughs> Just whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> when I'm nearing the end of this album, and I don't realize I'm nearing the end because it's only been 25 minutes <laughs> and it's almost over, I I do kind of get the feeling that I've been listening to a bunch of songs that are very similar. And I don't say that to say that that's a bad thing, yeah. but I will say there's not, I don't feel there's a ton of diversity on this album. Right. Uh, and that's okay, it doesn't bother me, but I think it is one of the re- you know we can't we can't talk about every song track by track because you know they're they are very similar and that's good. Even again, I I don't know why I'm just talking about this. I'm finding so many similarities to the Beatles. The Beatles' first album, like they were all very similar, mm-hmm. they were very good, um, and it was something different and it was exciting, just as this is. But you know, it doesn't mean that they're they're very diverse and. I'm not familiar with, I'm not super familiar with the Ramones' entire career. Okay, so I can't say well, well, two or three albums later, you know, they they were so different and they they evolved. Like right, I don't know, right, I right, can't right. say that. I don't know how much they did evolve, if at all. Yeah, uh, I assume they did at least a little bit, but you know, I, I just, um, you know, as you said, with kind of feeling a bit like you know when we listened to Chuck Berry and Robert Johnson, I did feel that it was all very similar, but again, there's something so familiar about it. Maybe it's because of some of the stuff we listened to growing up that it, it is, it does feel comfortable. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And it doesn't bother me that it's repetitive because I like it. I guess that's, that's the thing, right? So if something, something, Oh, this all sounds the same, but if you like it, it you want it to all sound the same because you like right. that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I it was interesting going through it this week because I I actually probably listened to the Huntingtons as much as I listened to the Ramones. Well, maybe not quite as much, but it made me want to revisit some of the music that sounds awfully similar that I did sure. have a longer sort of love affair with. Um, there's one one song in particular called "I Want to Be a Ramone," which is just so on the nose <laughs> uh, that that like listening this song this music this album in particular just makes me think of that song and the song's done in the same style um but they're chasing they're chasing this sound of this particular album they're chasing uh what it must have been like to be a ramon um and i don't know it was really fun even though it was repetitive and uh at times felt somewhat redundant we started doing a new thing and if I'm jumping ahead, stop me. We started doing a new thing. So before we're done talking about tracks, uh, we started a Spotify playlist where we put we each pick a track from each album that we reviewed. We put it up on our Spotify playlist for the SoundLogic podcast. So, do you have a favorite track uh, for this? I think I think you do, <laughs> and I think I know what. Well, it is. Well, I guess it depends. Like I don't know. We were both kind of gushing about Let's Creek Bob. Uh, is that? Is that your choice too? I, I can easily pick a second favorite. Um, I guess the question is who gets to pick the second one? 
<laughs> right. And we need to be going back and forth in some way. Um, I would like Blitzkrieg Bop to be on there. If you want to take that, that's fine. My second choice would be I don't want to walk around with you. Um, but I also like Beat on the Brat Ooh. if you are uh, feeling that one tonight. I, do also, I also like Beat on the Brat. Okay. So let's go the, the first with that. two tracks. Blitzkrieg Bop and Beat on the Brat. Cool. Perfect. A, a lot of a lot of bees, a lot of alliteration. Indeed. <laughs> Adding to playlists, and there it is. Any other comments on this album in general, Bud? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I'm really happy we were able to go down this rabbit trail. Yeah, it was kind of a bit of a trip down memory lane. Yeah, I don't know if you picked up my. My comments about i think i listened to the huntingtons almost as much as the remotes this week um i did uh so yeah okay that hopefully that got on there then but um yeah it was fun and uh i think very similar to when we went through the clash uh i feel like i'm enhancing my appreciation of a genre uh it's filling in a void that you're right we should have had when we were younger <laughs> getting into that at, at times yeah. mediocre christian punk we should have known sort of where the, the the true stuff was coming from where the inspiration was coming from it would have i think made that experience so much better if we could get over our right but christian there but there lies context. the <laughs> there lies the con true um yeah. but there lies the conflict so how do you how do you grow up in that environment and yep. grow up you know we we enjoyed believing what we believed yeah um it's I, we I don't want it to sound like we were forced. No, we chose what we were believing as teens and, and we enjoyed it and we were into it. Um, so I think there's the conflict. Cause as you said, if someone had come along with this, we might have rejected it. Mm-hmm. Um, we might've said, you know what? Uh, uh, I can't, I can't really, I, I remember, you know, bands. Okay. Here's a good example. I remember feeling really conflicted about, uh, I had a couple of green day albums yeah, uh, and I really liked them, and I still like them. But I remember having different times thinking, like, you know what? I shouldn't listen. There's too much swearing yep. on this <laughs> album. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't listen to that. Um, so I wonder, you know, reading the lyrics of this Ramones album or some other things from the time going. Uh, yeah, I don't know if this could be part of my my listening experience here. So maybe. Yes, I think we would have really liked the sound, but maybe we would have been more turned off of the genre. It's hard to say, but but that is that's some of the conflict, right? Yeah, you know. But we're here now. <laughs> we got it. We, we're listening to it now, and uh, you know, it's all come back for full circle. But I um, think- and the good thing is, we were we were interested in music, and we did find music we liked, and we continued to enjoy music lots of different music over the years uh, many times similar music and it's brought us back to uh still loving music and talking about it yep uh which is which is good it makes me think of that uh mlk quote uh the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends toward justice maybe the arc of uh musical understanding is long but it bends toward something better in the end (laughs) mid-70s punk rock uh, yeah, <laughs> just filling in the. Crack. Oh, you were that. You were being that specific. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so here we go. Um, in your opinion, is this album still relevant? Uh, 
I think that the musical sound here is really relevant. And my comment about Blitzkrieg Bop being used in the new Sonic the Hedgehog movie trailer sure. yeah. draws on that. I, huh, I think that the formula, an entire album of these sort of one and a half to two and a half minute long songs doesn't feel super relevant. Um, it's just not how we do things anymore. So as an album, I don't think it, I mean, as the sound goes, I think it's still relevant as a whole album. Right. That sound, I don't think it's as relevant. I, I don't know. Maybe that's a weak answer. <laughs> no, I, yes I, I no. hear what you're saying. If, if one, if one song can represent the feel of the whole album. Yeah. It can be relevant. Then that's relevant, but not necessarily releasing an album of just all yep. these songs sounding like this yeah i hear what you're saying i think it's relevant and i think you've got a point there that that sound that is really uh as we said blitzkrieg bop really is kind of a front runner on this album and kind of i think represents a lot of the sound here although there's lots of great songs and and they do have their differences um but my my daughter who's 11 was in a talent show earlier this year maybe last year um and even though she's in grade, she was in grade five at the time, there were some, some high school kids or maybe, you know, grade nine, grade 10 kids in the talent show as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the guys, uh, young guy, you know, grade 10 kid, uh, he did two Ramon songs, uh, solo. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he had, um, he had an amp, he had an amp and it was one of the amps that, um, has a lot of functions and he was, he had pre-recorded the bass and the drums so was able to play it through his amp. I guess he had a you know a button, a foot switch or something, and played the backing track that he had recorded himself, <laughs> so that he could play <laughs> guitar and sing live. He did. He did Blitzkrieg wow. Pop, and I think he did. I want to be sedated um, as a solo act, but he was backing up himself pre-recorded. <laughs> so that was wow. one really awesome, really cool. And okay, if young kids, you know, like. Sonic the Hedgehog movie, that's going to be a lot of young kids. So if young kids are still getting into this, then uh, I think it's definitely relevant. And I think that people who are playing in rock bands or punk bands are still playing Ramon's songs for sure. So I think very relevant um, for sure. But again, maybe according to the genre, if you're if you're into you know Zeppelin or if you're into Metallica or if you're into, mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, Guns and Roses or Bon Jovi, you too. Maybe you're not playing this stuff, but but I think if you're anything that's kind of punk or alt punk, you know, you're definitely going to be into this stuff. Yeah, and I think in general, Blitzkrieg. I think you you hear. I feel like I hear Blitzkrieg Bop everywhere. I feel like it's been in a lot of kind of movies and commercials lately. Yeah, um, just kind of slipped in there because it's kind of it's it is boppy. It's fun. It's 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 singalongable, and it's not it it doesn't feel edgy today to me mm-hmm. like it might have been edgy in 76 um, but it doesn't feel edgy now it feels just kind of fun so yeah yes definitely yes yeah. absolutely showing up everywhere um if you go to the wikipedia page and uh, just skim through uses in media there, there's just so many different places that it's uh right you know, sure into yeah not surprising all that we do uh, yeah what about the position number 33 how do you feel about that does that sound logic i think i like that position um it's not i think an album that has a ton of chart topping hits on it um 
I don't feel like the album tells a story conceptually. It's it's really good and well done and influential and um so I think it deserves to be high up on this list, but I don't think it's sort of top twenty worthy. Uh hmm. it's just not diverse hmm. musically enough for me to to feel that way. Okay. Yeah, I hear that. How about you? I'm kind of struggling with it. Um, I don't have a problem with where it is. Uh, I'm trying to decide whether it should be higher or not because of the genre that it kicked off. Like uh-huh. punk is still, I think, an important genre. I think uh, young musicians and artists and even artists who aren't necessarily punk, even pop artists, are are pulling from punk kind of tropes and fashion. Um even someone, okay, someone who I would not say is punk rock, but plays sort of played that pop punk music in the early 2000s, and Avril Lavigne, who pulls from kind of some of that punk fashion. You can see that even into some of the some of the the Japanese pop, where they pull a little bit of that into their fashion and and some of the mm-hmm. sound, even though it's very poppy. So, um, punk rock never really died. Uh, it's still, I think you'll still hear punk rock in the clubs in urban places um, and new bands making music. So I think for what it spawned, if Velvet Underground is number, you know, number 13, because it, it birthed all these bands in the 70s, then this should, I don't know, I feel like because of it, it should be a little higher. But in terms of the kind of the musicality and the diversity of it, uh, I would put it maybe not quite at 33 Mm -hmm. um you know and even even with the well the beatles first album is that please please me or is that meet the beatles please please me is one of their first albums yeah um it's coming up here soon so yeah i i think because of that because i'm kind of torn i i'd say you know just leave it where it is (laughs) like it's it's a good spot for it it's you know it's top it's top 40 um it's up there, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's it's up there with all the other big bands that are, you know, the Stones and the Beatles and Bob Dylan and all those bands. Um, yeah. I am conflicted because I like that tension, though. Yeah. Yeah. If it's about influence, then for sure. Yeah. If mm-hmm. it's about you know what it is, um, maybe not. But but and all that being said, like I like it. You know, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, let's just. Let's let sleeping dogs lie. Let's just leave it there. Yep. <laughs> let it be. <laughs> Wait, that's <somewhere> around. <laughs> let it bleed? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no. Don't want to let it bleed. Um, uh, so we like to talk about other albums uh, by the artist on the top 500. Uh, the Ramones have only other one album, number 106, Rocket to Russia. Cool. Any sense of where that falls in there? Well, I was uh, just going to ask, how many albums do the Ramones have? In less than 20 years, 14 albums. Rocket to Russia is their third album, which came out the following year, 1977. So they they released two albums in 77, right after this album, pretty much. Okay, so uh, that's it. Woo-hoo! Ramones. We did it. Done. Uh, done. 
checked it off the list. I think it's time we get a special guest back in the studio with us. Let's see if we can make that happen. Yeah, Come good, here. good idea. Yeah. Do you think we should get a guest who's uh, been with us before? I think we have one in mind. We'll see if uh, we we can swing it. Yeah. So we hope you join us next time for that special guest who has been with us before <laughs> when we discuss album number 34 on Rolling Stone's top 500 album list, which is music from Big Pink by Ben. Who is it? The band, you know. That band. What? Which, which band? <laughs> who? The band. Guess who? <laughs> oh. <laughs> On that note, we'll talk to you next time. You bet. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.